0: I really believe that the way we stay ready for what snacks is we make sure that we get our own mind blown every day.
1: Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have drama researcher, global thought leader, and New York Times best-selling author, Cy Wakeman, as she shares ways to blow your mind every day the importance of yes days, and how to remove emotional waste from the workplace. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, your host of the Beyond Speaking podcast, and today we have with us Cy Wakeman. She is a drama researcher, global thought leader, and New York Times bestselling author, recognized for her counterintuitive reality-based approach to leadership. She's been featured on the Today Show, the Ask Gary Vee Show, The Huffington Post, Forbes.com, and now, of course, the Beyond Speaking podcast. I mean, where do you go from there? Uh, Her groundbreaking ideas have helped thousands of organizations and individuals learn to harness the energy wasted in drama and instead use it to drive incredible results. So, Cy, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Now, before we officially start, I have one son. He's two years old. He is great, but he's crazy, but you have eight boys Yes. That's now, you've been a very successful speaker, author, business leader, but even with all that, does that income even begin to approach covering all the ER visits you must have had?
0: <laughs> uh, we make sure we have really good insurance. In fact, I think we have a record for how many um, stitches one can have <laughs> in one's head without being admitted, so... Oh, wow. Wow.
1: What's the worst accident that you've had?
0: Oh, my goodness. I'd have to pick one. so I had one son who had just gotten a full ride football scholarship. And he has this incredible um, diving trick that he does. It's kind of a party trick where he goes running on cement and from cement jumps on the end of a diving board and does a backflip. And one night he did that at someone else's um, pool and completely smashed his elbow. So he has a, three surgeries later, a big basket on his elbow. And, um, but we've had um, a total of five ACL surgeries. We've had uh, two shoulder rebuilds. We've had two elbow rebuilds. We've had someone um, take a garden hoe to someone else's head because they were mad at them. We have um, had a three-year-old backed into a campfire and we had to stop up and roll him. I mean, I basically, I think we qualify for a paramedics um, class at this point. (laughs) So I'm not sure that there's one of them. I once had a kid put his car in the ditch three times in a single day, three times in a single day. It was very icy. And uh, we kept suggesting he not drive. But, um, you know, people often, because of the business I'm in, and I'm a therapist by background, they often say, I bet your kids are well-behaved, and I (laughs) often correct them, and I say, no, my children are well-consequenced, not necessarily well-behaved, because I can't always control the behavior, but I can control the consequences. Your
1: sons are rather adventurous. Uh, and I hear that they, they get that from you, at least in part, you recently h- hiked Mount Kilimanjaro. Do you have any insights from that experience?
0: Oh my gosh. Fantastic trip. We just got back and eight of us went and six of us summited and unbelievable. Even to me, I, um, summited Kilimanjaro, um, and, uh, so many lessons about that. You know, I really believe that the way we stay ready for what's next is we make sure that we get our own mind blown every day, whether it's a great podcast or book. I mean, I seek somebody blowing my mind and really um, putting me in a situation where. I'm not in control and I don't know how this is gonna end. So every other year, my kids, we have done this for years, I let them plan a trip. It's been Machu Picchu, India. This year, um, Kilimanjaro. And I would tell you the two lessons stand out. Um, One of my uh, boys got altitude sickness and was literally the day we summoned to like vomiting and he had a knee injury. He's 18, and, you know, he's had some challenges in his life, but never, like, up front like this. And um, hiking Kilimanjaro, they keep saying "pole poli, which is slow, slow, slow. And we kept telling him, it's just walking. That's all this is, is just walking slowly. And he got to the top and was so proud of himself, and he turned and said to me, you know, mom, you talk about it's all mental, it's all self-limiting beliefs and you are right. And for an 18 year old to like get that was amazing. So, um, that was his lesson. But my lesson was that it doesn't take courage to complete an adventure like that. The courage is when you sign up for a venture like that. So when I've run a marathon And if you see a picture of me, you'll see I'm probably not the typical (laughs) hiker, Um, is just stepping up to the finish or the start line of any of these adventures is what takes the courage. Once you're there, it's just choice and keeping your commitment. and, um, And what's important to me is that my boys, I shape their view of women and especially women like in their 50s as they age that women are extremely capable and don't live up to a lot of stereotypes. So we travel a lot. So my kids learn about their own privilege. They learn about the needs of the world. Um, One of my sons came back super obsessed with clean water and um, how we can, can help people with clean water. So I guess I don't know if those are lessons, but those are certainly things that I continue to try and groom in myself and others.
1: Now, did you have someone who you are talking about having sort of these great female role models, like wanting to be that for your son and sons and change maybe how people look at women at at, at all or even at a certain period in their lives? Where did you have that modeled?
0: Gosh, um, I would say for her time, my mom, who's a mother of seven, um, when my dad hit some hard times, we lived in a little tiny town. And he was a contractor, and um, she played this delicate role of saving the day financially a lot through her successful business, but unfortunately having to downplay it a lot to stay in traditional roles. But she was the first female realtor licensed in the state of Iowa, the first female realtor um, that served on, on the board. Uh, but I also would tell you that throughout my life, In fact, this is a great story. When I was um, about three years old, all my siblings got to take piano lessons. And I was obsessed with the inequity of not being able to do that. And they kept telling me, when you're five or you're six, you can take piano lessons. And the teacher was my mom's really good friend. And I just would not let up. So they decided they would just kind of pretend when they're having coffee to give me piano lessons. So I would go each week diligently, learn twinkle, twinkle Little star, and I would play the whole time. They would just have coffee and play bridge. So once in one day I know sheet music spread out and everybody was getting to pick their recital piece. And I went to pick mine. And the teacher was like, You're not really in lessons. We didn't really plan on you for the recital. And I was just like, Oh no, I'll be in the recital. And I picked this song, Amazing Grace. And um it was much harder than what I was It was much harder than what I was supposed to be playing. And I mastered this and we played it night and day. So my mom was really proud of that. And she framed that and gave it to me later. And she always loved the song Amazing Grace. And I always thought it was because I was such a rock star when I was three years old. And it was my story of triumph. So as she was passing, she would often ask me to sing that song to her, and she asked me to sing it at her celebration of life. And I said, you know, Mom, I love that that's been our special bond this whole part of our life. And she hardly remembered the story of when I was little. And she said, that's not really why I love that song. And I said, are you kidding me? And she said, yeah, the reason I love that song is that I've always believed that if you surround yourself by enough amazing women, your life will be graced. And that, and that really is what she taught me. And so, yes, my mom was one role model, but my, the universe has put some of the most amazing women accidentally in my life who have just taught me bits and pieces of this. And so I really, well, I love all the men in my life. I have tons of them. I really believe that if you surround yourself with enough amazing women, your life will just automatically be graced. Um, So I think that's where I got that from my mom.
1: One of the things you mentioned earlier is that you intentionally try to have your mind blown every day. Um, And obviously not everyone can climb Mount Kilimanjaro or, or uh, travel the world as easily. What are some of the other ways that you do it? And how do you do it intentionally? Like, do you schedule out, okay, my mind blown on the 13th is going to be by this? Or, uh, you know, how do you how do you set that
0: up? There's a couple of ways. Um, first of all, what I teach in my business is instead of change management, where it's my job as a leader to explain the why to my people and, you know, really um, chronically surprise them with what we're going to do next, we foster awareness in our office. And so um, we really make sure that we all are out there listening to podcasts and reading blogs and, um, actively sharing with each other things that have blown our minds. So a lot of it comes to me just from my team members and the same behavior, but I love, um, and I usually listen to non-business podcasts, but I do a lot of podcasts. Kristen Tippett's on being is mind blowing. Sam Harris's podcast, um, is mind blowing. I do a lot of reading. Um, I do a lot of traveling and, um, You know, what some people can't do in our office, um, we do transcendental meditation twice a day as a team. Um, And I think that's the way to blow your own mind, to disconnect from your ego so that you can connect into something bigger. Um, So we really try and have practices. But I tell you, my biggest way to get my mind blown is to interview my taxi drivers. Like, I'll just start saying, like, what's your view on life and what's your best lesson? And the stuff that these folks tell me about their own life experience is like street wisdom. It is like, they did not learn this in their MBA. And so I think it's being curious about the world one minute longer than you think you can tolerate. Cause most people are curious to ask one question and then they're done. So it's like, stay curious one minute longer, ask one more question, um, Stay and watch something one minute longer than you might have been. So I think that curiosity is really important.
1: I, I wholeheartedly agree with that and, and staying curious. And that's definitely the way to do it. You, you have to have an open mind before you can have, a, have your mind be blown by something. So that's, that's incredible Absolutely. advice.
0: And we talk a lot in, in our just staff about um, open mind, open heart. And whenever you're starting to close your heart off or judge somebody, right, you're starting to not have compassion for them, it's time to really get mentally flexible, check your thinking, see, you know, question your thinking, open your mind. Whenever your mind starts to close and you're getting righteous and you think you know everything, it's like open your heart up and at least find compassion for the person. Even if you don't agree with them. And it's it, they're connected. If you can't open your heart, open your mind. If you can't open your mind, open your heart. And you know, it's just a, a way to walk through the world that, you know, there's just we think we see all of the world. And what we need to realize is we see with our own senses so little of what's going on in the world. And we need to really doubt ourselves and stop believing everything we think and not trust our um and our initial senses. And I think that's really counterintuitive than what a lot of leadership or parenting is about. People think they need to know and then direct others. And we really believe that we need to recognize what we don't know, but that we can facilitate that together um, we can bring experiences to bear and focus on how we can create something and really manage the energy of that. And, and open up some portals people have never seen before in opportunity.
1: Now, your your most recent book is No Ego. And, you know, kind of going along with some of the things you've been saying, I'm, I'm curious to know where the inspiration for that came from.
0: So it's, it's my third book. And um, where the inspiration came from, as a drama researcher, I was able to quantify how much emotional waste there is in the workplace. And the average person spends two and a half hours a day in waste, inventing, judging, griping, resisting change, um, disengaging, just all of this unproductive thinking and unproductive thought patterns. And when we quantified what was the biggest source of that drama, it was ego behaviors. And as a therapist, Whenever we see, I know that when we see the world through the lens of ego, we see ourselves as victims and it's distorted information and the ego looks for insults when there isn't any. And and so what I found is so many of the leadership techniques we're teaching, the, the traditional leadership techniques, actually feed the ego, feed people being in low self. And most of the techniques I teach are how to toggle that, that up to high self through self-reflection. And a lot of us are trying to lead people who are toggled down in their lowest self, their primitive intelligence. As a therapist, I naturally knew ways to toggle people up into high self through self-reflection and then work with them when they're using kind of all of their intelligence. And I saw so many leaders that didn't understand how the mind works and so many team members who didn't understand how the world works And it went back to my therapy days that as a leader myself, I was consistently teaching people how your mind works and how the world works. And the best thing we can create together, our natural state is innovation, collaboration, all of those things we want, accountability in our teams. But that happens beyond ego. And I learned that most leaders don't understand how to help people move beyond ego and so that's where the title of the book came from. It's all about helping leaders cut the cost of drama and entitlement and drive big results in very counterintuitive ways. But it's a modern approach and a conventional approach. Um, we're finding a lot of conventional leadership techniques aren't working. Uh,
1: what do you think is easier? Is it easier for a leader to get rid of his or her own ego or, or, or I don't know, if get rid of, but change or to help their team with that
0: i would tell you it's imperative that the leader themselves are evolving and moving beyond their own ego before they can ever even um uh, work to move others beyond the ego but this isn't hard stuff this is simply questioning your own thinking editing your own story it's you know, self-reflection questions like, what do I know for sure and what would great look like and what can I do next to, um, you know, add value. And there's, once a leader learns this technique and they can learn it in an hour, then they can, as they evolve, they can help evolve others. And I think the one thing that we've done poorly in the workplace is we talk about development, not evolution. Development is with the same mindset. I learn new skills. Evolution is I burn off my own ego. One of my favorite quotes, um, Balumi is, "Out beyond the ideas of right doing and wrongdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there." And for me, out beyond like all this judgment and um, division, there's this other way of working that really is collaborative. But it, it's got to be um, evolution. And so in my research, I look at so many ways that what we're teaching leaders to do actually enables people, it coddles them, it fuels the drama, and, um, and, and how we can help people move on, that. So an example I hear at a lot of conferences, people are like, bring your whole self to work. And my response is like, please do not do that. I want you to bring your most evolved self to work and I want your diversity and all those intersections and all that incredible stuff that makes you, you, but we need to come in high self and, um, and leaders need to really be, um, teaching and facilitating those processes. A better way to explain that is when I study leadership, a lot of people are saying, well, leadership is to motivate others. A good leader inspires others. And I kept saying, you know what? Inspire, inspiritu, the Latin word means to breathe for another. And as a therapist, I just heard all this codependency. You're responsible for the engagement and happiness of another. I'm like, you can't make another person happy. And I I came up with a whole different view of leadership that if drama is emotional waste, the way we get rid of waste in the workplace is with better processes. So for leadership, the way to get rid of emotional waste is to facilitate and insist on better mental processes like self-reflection, like good discipline in thinking. And so it became a more scientific view of leadership, one that you can actually um, impact and, um, And it really resonates with people because, for instance, when I first went to leadership boot camp, they said keep an open door. And I thought that sounded like a disastrous recommendation because I'm a human behavior economist. That sounds like you have no boundaries. So I was competitive. I bought a decorative doorstep, kept my door open, and then I studied the process. The average Haiti half a minute meeting lasted 45 minutes in length. We documented it. Typical conversation was venting, judging, tattling, complaining, talking about people not present, speculating, um, being upset about things that never happened. The typical conclusion was, please don't tell anybody. I just wanted you to know. And I looked at the return on investment of 45 minutes, 10 times a day, where we really were just allowing venting. And it dawned on me, well, I want to be approachable to my people. They're bringing me unprocessed work. It's not a good mental process. So I just came up with a simple tool that they could come to me anytime as long as they had shared accountability. They had processed their work. They had self-reflected. So I gave them a simple tool called an S-bar. S is what's the situation in one sentence or less. You have to really reflect to get your story down to a sentence. What's the relevant background? How does it apply to where we're going? We don't work for the History Channel. What's your assessment? I want to know your critical thinking skills and what are your recommendations? And you have to have more than one so you get out of the righteousness of, well, here's what we have to do. It's like an into business thinking about here's all the ways with different varying levels of risk and benefit that we could move forward. And that one little change has just cleaned up so much drama in the interactions with my team. They're like, hey, do you have a minute? I'm like, absolutely, do you have an S bar?" And we move through very process, self-reflected, drama-free work, and come up with amazing solutions very efficiently. So those are some of the types of things I teach.
1: Now, you work with uh, HR people a lot, can you hire for no ego or is that something you get whoever has the skills on paper and then you try to help them evolve to that?
0: You know, you can absolutely hire for no ego. So I work with a lot of HR. I work a lot in medicine, but a lot of times the people who bring me in are the CEOs and the executive team who are frustrated that their traditional HR departments haven't produced what, you know, what they've promised because drama has increased from two hours a day to two and a half hours a day in 10 years at the very time we've spent more money in leadership training and engagement efforts. But yes, you can interview. We have um, in our research identified five core competencies that you can interview for and continue to develop that make somebody um, um, low drama, high value and their personal accountability and the ability to align with the organization to forego their personal preference to deliver on the business case, their ability to move through change, not just to survive it, but to capitalize on it, to seek it out. Um, In our research, we learned that people high in accountability are anxious when change isn't happening and people low in accountability are anxious when change is happening. So when we keep saying change is hard, we know it's just hard fitting and ready, and that readiness is the factor. Uh, we also can test um, driving for results in resilience, and we test um, what we call reality based thinking, uh, which is um, communicating low drama. Um, so, an example of that um, is somebody comes into me and says, so we just got three projects dumped on us. My job as a leader is to consistently translate that to neutral, so we have three new projects. And so we really, when we interview people, we listen how much how much they add in. That's judgment, assumption, you know, motive. So I interviewed somebody recently, and they relate to the interview. And actually, I had two people relate to the interview. And so I just know that I said I know this that you relate to this interview. Um, what what happened? And the first person said to me, um, I'm sorry, I made some poor choices. I jumped in the shower before I checked Google Maps with traffic. And by the time I left my house, I had very little options on which route to take. The other one said traffic was horrible. Now this is really important. They're both late to the interview. But the first one I said, what would you do to be on time to your second interview? And they said, well, I would just make better choices and understand um, They needed to really pay attention to how traffic changes in this area. The other one said, well, I would do my best, but it would depend on traffic. And do you hear the difference in those two interview questions? It's not necessarily the question you ask. It's the deep listening you do to the answer they give.
1: How do you uh, develop those listening skills?
0: So um, I actually just had on my podcast, um, Oscar Trimboli, who wrote Deep Listen. It's an amazing book. Um, A lot of the listening skills is listening with your whole self instead of just your own intellect. A lot of us are so looking for people to reinforce that they're the right choice so that we can check it off our list and get the right person in. And instead, it's like listening with your whole self, with your gut, your intuition, your heart, like really understanding, like, did that answer bring peace to you? Was that answer soothing to you? Was that answer um, um, joining and collaborating? Did it build energy? Was it spirit building as you interacted with this person or was it spirit depleting? I mean, how many of us in the interview question check out halfway through their answer? It's like, were you leaning in because this person was bringing some deep stuff to the table or, or not? And do you have the patience to spend enough time with the person until you are centered um, around that decision? My staff is very funny. Part of our, We run a tremendously successful business, but part of our strategy is we keep a very small footprint and they do not beg me to add staff. They get nervous when we're going to add staff because they are operating at such a high function that they are so selective when we are bringing people in. And so I think you definitely can hire for it, but you really have to use that curiosity and be willing to ask a lot of questions And then use non-judgmentalism while you listen to the question and use more of your whole body deep listening. People, I think Oprah said, people show you who they are pretty quickly in your interaction. We just tend to ignore it because we have a motive. We're in ego. We're trying to control. We're trying to fill a position instead of choose the next member of our team.
1: One thing I'm curious to know, speaking of speaking of teams, you know, family is your first team. Um, and you mentioned this a little bit, and you kind of read into it. But was ego a, a big part of your family growing up?
0: There was quite a bit of quick to anger and ego in my family. And I think it was not about bad people. I think what happened because I went to therapy once. They're so like, were your parents abusive? I'm like, you know, actually, I think my parents were pretty amazing. <laughs> And they're like, well, you see a lot of signs that, you know, you maybe grew up with some anger in your family. And then when I realized is I wasn't raised by my parents, being the sixth of seven, I was raised by an angry 14-year-olds who had the babysit. <laughs> and so I would say where they were in their development stage, they were full on an ego. And I remember just learning. Um, I remember seeing distinctly, and it's something so true to me, like suffering is so optional and so often self impose And I just remember thinking like, life could be easier for all of you folks. Like if you just um, you know, realize that the suffering you're feeling comes from your story, not your reality. And I just remember thinking that a lot. And I think I learned to navigate through a lot of egos without getting ego hooked myself, which was such a gift. Um, because it just wasn't safe. I wasn't big enough or strong enough or old enough to join in and win any of that but I had a lot of practice and not getting hooked in other people's reality or other people's um, story and just being able to just work neutrally and and do things like follow the simple instructions people like get out of here you know a 13 year old brother and I was just like okay like instead of you know staying there and being like I have a right to be here too I learned to say yes to what was given to me without judgment. And quite honestly, that ability opened up whole worlds to me because what I would do when I would get out of there is I would go read. I would go hang with older neighbors that told me incredible stories about the world. I would. And so a lot of times we see what's happening to us and we judge it as negative, but if we really surrender to it, 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 it's really positive. In fact, one of the things I do to keep my mind open Is once a month, I pick a day called a yes day. I don't tell anybody. But what I do is if somebody asks me to do something that day, I agree to it unless it's unethical or like will hurt my marriage or something, you know, or or illegal. And it has opened up to me things I would have never said yes to. And most women are working on saying no to things. But I open up. I'm just my name is yes that day. Whatever people need me to do, my name is yes. And two funny stories about that. I was backstage with a very prominent speaker in the green room waiting to go on. I was kind of up and coming. I wasn't yet kind of a known entity. And the speaker was big stuff. And it was a yes and She looked at me and she said, there is no coffee here. And it was kind of a statement. And so I said, oh, you know, gosh, I, 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 think, you're, I think that's accurate. I don't see any coffee here. And she got upset she goes go get me some coffee and i go sure and so i went and got a coffee and i came back and she's like this doesn't have enough cream i want cream she's like will you give me cream i go sure and so for like 20 minutes before i go on stage i'm like waiting on the speaker who has no idea who i am so she walks out to um uh, speak and um and then i'm introduced and we cross each other on stage And it dawns on her who I am and what her behavior has been like to somebody kind of unbeknownst to her. And it was just this funny interchange. And, um, but another one of my yes days, I had the exit aisle seat. And this guy was like seven foot tall walks towards me. And he goes, hey, do you mind if we switch seats? I have the middle. And I'm like, no, but it was a yes day. I go, absolutely (laughs) sure. So I get in the middle seat, and of course the window seat person comes, so I have to get back up, and I'm pretty grumpy. And the window seat person sits down, and she smells like patchouli, and now I'm really grumpy. I'm like, I'm, I hate yesterdays. days. I look over during that six-hour flight, and she's writing in a journal with like pencil, kind of super old-fashioned, and I'm like, kind of judging her, because our egos do. And I'm feeling a bit miserable. And then I start putting things together. She's got dreadlocks. She smells like patchouli. And what she's writing in her journal... I'm kind of creeping on, I'm like lurking over, is amazing. And lo and behold, I'm sitting next to my favorite author of all time, Anne Lamott, because I said yes. I would have never done that on my own accord. And so when I think about the times I say yes, I either play an important role in somebody else's life by not shaming them, but just getting them what they need and then letting them understand how they could treat people in the world better because it should make a difference if I'm a speaker. And I also get opportunities I would never have just by saying yes.
1: Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more about today's guest, visit beyondspeak.com. This episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was me, Eric Woody. Brian Lord was your host and executive producer. Shout out to special consultant, Lauren D. of D Associates, and Robert Borquez for that sweet, sweet intro. If you've listened this far, do me a favor and justify my existence and salary by checking out another episode
0: of the Beyond Speaking Podcast.